Did you know nuclear energy is America's largest full-time source of climate-friendly power? In fact, nuclear energy provides about 50% of the country's carbon-free electricity. That's almost as much as all the solar panels, wind turbines, hydroelectric dams, and all other clean energy sources combined. Energy Northwest is a premier provider of carbon-free electricity in the Pacific Northwest. Its mission is to provide safe, reliable, cost-effective, responsible power generation and innovative energy and business solutions to its public power members and regional customers. To learn more about Energy Northwest, visit our website at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up. With me is my co-host and editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. And we're here with some of the top stories we've been working on uh, the past week. You know, first though, Jason, you're really active on Twitter. I have to say, so mm. I saw a new side of you recently oh. on Twitter. You had it. No, don't <laughs> worry. It's good. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not something I'd pegged you for. I knew about your music, but uh, yeah. I saw this tw- tweet. You were having a conversation about this uh, professional motocross racer that was like deep into his season. <laughs> I had no idea that you were such an avid follower fan of motocross. <laughs> like I said, uh-huh. I knew about the music. I would not have pegged you for a motocross enthusiast, but I was really impressed. Oh, well, thanks. It's an eclectic mix, isn't it? Um, But yeah, I've always loved motocross. I started it when I was a kid, you know, 12 years old, and I'd just been involved through the sport. Actually, I had a motocross magazine for a while, which was a really fun experience. But um, yeah, it's just, you know, I love motorsports. I love that competition. I love, I like all motorsports, but it is kind of an oddball, uh, <laughs> an oddball uh, piece of the puzzle, I suppose. Yeah. So do you race <laughs> still or are you just uh, do it for your, for the fun of it or, or are yeah, you just I, in the, on the uh, fan now? I'm, I'm mostly a fan. I, I did a race in 2020. You know, I'm, I'm on the older side of the spectrum now, but um, I'd like to keep up with it for physical conditioning. It is, um, believe it or not, a very physical sport. Um, and yeah, there's to me, there's a lot to it. You know, it's got mechanical knowledge. It's got athleticism. It's got, you know, there's obviously the sort of extreme, you know, risk factor to it, which makes it very dramatic for me. I think what Hemingway said, there's only three sports, uh, motorsports, bullfighting, and mountaineering, and all the rest are games. So it's like the most Hemingway line ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, I guess he didn't get in like drinking whiskey or whatever his drink of choice was. No, no, not so much. But uh, so yeah, it's it's just a kind of sport. You know, the, the sport doesn't have the best reputation. I understand it, especially when you consider the kind of um, climate impacts. But I guess it's just kind of a little affectation I have left. And yeah, Cooper Webb was someone that I I used to ride with and interviewed him for my magazine back when he was nine years old, and now he's a big time Supercross champion, making millions of dollars. And uh, so it's mm. it's been interesting to watch that whole process. Yeah. But that's yeah. fascinating. 
I think you know, I've got the. This is why I have a artificial hip too. I have a metal hip from all. Oh, that. there you go. All right. Well, that makes me feel better about my decision to never get in the motocross. <laughs> There's plenty of dangerous stuff that I I've done and yeah. I'm totally comfortable with, but that is not one of them. It's not for everybody. Put it that way. No. <laughs> Anytime that I see those flips, I just think of ooh, that could be a life in a wheelchair, and that uh, doesn't. Yeah. Not not what I want. But anyways. Uh, so, well, in the, the yeah, the less exciting, dramatic world of energy, but we have some really <laughs> like big stories this week. It's exciting, yeah. certainly exciting stories this week. You've, um, you've been tearing it up with your uh, Western RTO coverage. Uh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I try. Yeah, so we the, you've got the uh, uh uh, nine Rocky Mountain utilities are getting very close to uh, signing on to what would be the West's second organized, integrated, uh, comprehensive market. RTO West would be a branch of um, SPP's uh, market in the Midwest. So I've got a, an update a update on that. Uh, and then the Washington governor, uh, Jay Inslee, asking or voicing his opposition to an experience a proposed uh, gas pipeline in the Northwest and uh, another step forward for a 500 KV transmission line that uh, is proposed uh, in the Northwest. What do you, what do you have for us this week? All right. Well, I've got California public utilities commission launching its investigation into high natural gas prices. And then I'm going to talk about interconnection delays from IOUs, investor-owned utilities here in California, that's creating a lot of chaos in the housing market. Mm. Really uh, kind of a dire situation down here in terms of people getting their power hooked up. Yeah, interesting story. Well, I'll, I'll get us started with the RTO West here. Um, and like I said, so this is uh, this is important for these utilities involved uh, for their service, but more significantly beyond that, this is a key step forward if it gets uh, if it turns into a reality. Big step forward for the West, which is you know uh, across the West, utilities are looking at organized markets. Uh, this is this would again be the second one in the West, and an important step forward for the Southwest Power Pool, which is really looking for looking into expanding its presence in the Western U.S. Uh, as a competitor to Kaiso. For the markets, the market, 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 market. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Martin, the mother of all markets. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, the Western Area Power Administration is like any day now is going to publish a notice in the Federal Register asking for public comment uh, as it deliberates on whether to go into final negotiations to enter into RTO West, which would be. A basically a Western branch of Southwest Power Pools or SPPs, uh, RTO, which runs from Texas, Louis, well, Texas, Louisiana, even a little bit in New Mexico, uh, through the Midwest, up into the Dakotas, and uh, even into Montana, uh, Eastern Montana, which is connected to the uh, Eastern grid. So this would. Uh, Stretch the RTO West would primarily encompass Wyoming and Colorado, with a little bit in uh, Utah and Arizona. 
to nine utilities plus Western area, the Western Area Power Administration, which is a federal power marketer, uh, are mm-hmm. looking to join. All these entities currently belong to SPP's Western Energy Imbalance Service, which is equivalent to the imbalance market that Kaiso runs, which predominates in the West. Uh, this SPP's imbalance market, it's known as WISE, uh, Western Energy Imbalance Service. That started in 2021. And pretty early on, these utilities said, look, we really want to look at this being a stepping stone to a full RTO. Now, the same group of art of utilities plus XL Colorado were exploring joining SPP's RTO back in 2016, 2017, really got going in 2017, though, known as the Mountain West Transmission Group. And that was seemed to be going along, picking up some momentum until early 2018 when Excel Colorado pulled out. That was like pulling, opening the drain on, on that effort. And you know, the other utilities in the coming months said, okay, we're not going forward with this. The difference this time, though, is the utilities that were really in it before and were kind of caught off guard by XL Colorado's exit, they are moving ahead. XL Colorado has not been a part of this process. So it's not in a position to be in it and then get out and undermined. And XL Colorado, so they're joining next month. They're joining the Weiss and they've already said to SPP, we are not interested in going to the RTO at this point. So they'll figure out how it participates in an inbound service uh, if this RTO goes ahead. So uh, the SPP has asked the, or it's approved the terms and conditions of this expansion. And those new terms and expansion are good through July 1st. So these nine utilities, including, so, uh, you know, I said, it was nine plus Western Area Power Administration. I'm sorry, that was, I misspoke. It's nine, including the Western Area Power Administration. The SPP has given utilities until June 30th to start final negotiations to enter into the RTO. The target is to have the RTO go live in April, 2026. Four of these utilities commissioned a study recently within the past year or two that showed yeah, they, they stand to save millions of dollars each year by participating. An SPP official told me that you know, they have already had some talks with adjacent utilities about joining the market down the road. So they, uh, no one has said they want to start that process yet, but we, we'll see. This is a, a big development for the West as uh, utilities, again, from you know New Mexico up to Washington across the West are exploring various options to join, a, well, right now, day ahead market that SPP and Kaiso are offering two options for that. And several utilities are have come together to study a roadmap, a potential roadmaps to go to a full RTO eventually. Yeah, a lot of moving pieces here. When you say you got the Kaiso effort, you got SPP and there are different levels of development and you've got the dayhead market coming across the EIM. A lot, a lot of mechanics here. Yeah. And just, I mean, how many times has the, what have Western utilities tried to form markets in the past and they've all foundered 
on you know all these different balancing authorities and different needs of all the potential players or the potential participants uh it just feels so different this time it, I mean, does. it is right it is yeah there's you know i we all know that the influx of renewables is a big reason for this people interested in being able to have a more efficient use of the transmission system and be able to you know tra- trade energy uh at, at the particular times of day when it's needed i think is pressing the urgency on this in a lot of ways don't you Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it is just a different, uh, a, a different, an increasingly different landscape, the sure. environment that they're operating in. Uh, you know, one thing I should add, so this is not going to like connect the Eastern interconnection, the Western interconnection. The SPP says it would optimize the Eastern RTO and the Western RTO uh, using and optimize them between them too, as much as possible using the four DC ties that uh, that would be within the footprint of these two markets. But uh, you know those are DC ties that can they're bidirectional, but mm-hmm. they can only flow one direction at a time. Uh, so these are not like you know paths in the West where you've got to eat and you know uh, inner ties flying. Uh, flowing in both mm-hmm. directions at the same time. So this is, would not be a you know, fully liquid market between the two sides. They kind of would be operating as two balancing authorities that are optimized to work together for you know, more efficiency. So it would be an improvement, but you know, again, it would remain two different grids. Yep. Well, great coverage. You know, one thing occurs to me that I don't know if you noticed, there's been starting to be a little pushback against the very RTO concept. You know, you had this big flare up in PJM where they went back in and retroactively reset the clearing price. You know, James Danley at FERC went nuts on that. And um, you wonder, you know, just as the RTO in the West is moving forward, and there's a big editorial and utility dive recently. That's another dynamic, but this something's going to happen here in the West. I, I would think here, n- nevertheless, RTOs aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, that's an interesting point. Interesting point, though, yeah. that uh, we'll be watching closely is to see as these RTOs develop, or if you know, assuming they come along in the West, other ones uh, will they look have fundamental differences from the traditional structures? So far, this yeah. wouldn't. It would just be, you know, a expansion of the existing RTO. Yeah, and we have the, they've got ones from scratch elsewhere in the West. Are those going to have fundamental differences? It's a really interesting yep. question. And they have the benefit of these other models and results and outcomes to study at the other RTOs in the East, right. which exactly. are very different. Well, stay tuned, listeners. We certainly have been covering this in great deal. You can see more of our coverage at uh, newsdata.com in the past and going forward. Right. Well, coming back to California, we had an investigation launched last week by the California Public Utilities Commission into natural gas price spikes. This was their voting meeting on March 16th, where also they heard from many, many irate members of the public concerning the net energy metering was not even on the agenda 
from what I can see, the commissioners didn't didn't discuss that issue. But yeah, we reported previously on the en banc that was held. Um, this new investigation is quote quasi legislative, expected to take up to three years. Um, Commissioner John Reynolds called it quote extraordinarily important unquote to identify ways to avoid such economic outcomes in the future. The order specifically named the three major IOUs, uh, Southern California Gas, San Diego Gas and Electric, PG&E, Southwest Gas, and some other ones. Um, so this is reporting from our freelance correspondent, Rory Sweeney, who said, the commissioners seemed in search of a culprit despite the balanced tone of the order, I think we all know about natural gas prices and the complications and sort of the lack of control. It is a pass through on utility bills, but, and then the on banc had found that, you know, we had really low temperatures, limited storage capacity, prolonged drought and other factors. Uh, Reynolds noted that while the commission doesn't reg regulate natural gas prices, it can amortize utilities related requests for any increased cost recovery. Not sure exactly how the mechanics of that, would work. Um, and then CPUC President Alice Bushing Reynolds noticed that noted that Governor Gavin Newsom has also asked the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to investigate high prices. But I guess if this is going to take three years, we'll find out pretty far down the line what the findings were. But yeah, big topic right now. And speaking of natural gas, you've got some news about uh, pipeline in Washington State. Yeah. So Washington Governor Jay Inslee uh, added his voice to opposition to the proposed gas transmission Northwest pipeline expansion earlier this month. Inslee said in a March 8th letter to the Federal Energy Commission uh, that the project to expand the 1300 mile long pipeline that would move Canadian natural gas to Washington, Oregon and California uh, clashes with Washington state's efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and transition to cleaner energy. State officials in Oregon and California have lodged similar objections with federal regulators. The pipeline's owner, TC Energy, asked for two years ago to approve the expansion, which would cost more than $335 million, according to estimates, and increase the pipeline capacity by about 5.6%. Inslee says that given that price tag, TC Energy will need to recoup the cost of it well past the state's uh, mandated transition to net zero emissions. And the cost will increasingly then, he says, burden the remaining customers and could turn the pipeline into a stranded asset. FERC's not yet ruled on TC Energy's application, and we will be watching that, though. So again, stay tuned. But uh, speaking of expansions to grids, you've got a story on some delays with uh, connections, interconnections to uh, the electric power grid down in your neck of the woods. Yeah, uh, this is a story from last week. Interconnection delays disrupting housing markets and causing chaos. Um, yeah, the IOUs are really behind on connecting residential commercial customers to the grid, which has really thrown the housing market into chaos. There's been a lot of stories of people ready to move into new houses. They can't get their power hooked up. Um, newly constructed or renovated structures throughout the state are remaining unoccupied, waiting for power to be connected. You know, we tried to talk to PG&E about what's causing the delays. They didn't really say. <laughs> so, 
you know, it's hard to pin down the reasons for this, but uh, we had some, this actually came to our attention from Jeff Seifers, who's CEO of Sonoma Clean Power, who said during a board meeting, there's several hundred examples of buildings in which construction has been completed, but they aren't connected to the grid. Um, calling this sort of a de facto housing moratorium by the IOUs. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, the you know, uh, th they're saying this is a devastating impact on local businesses and residents. New home buyers waiting many months for their homes to be constructed and then are relying on, you know, the timely closing of their escrows so their mortgage interest rate locks in doesn't expire. So... Yeah, again, not many answers from the IOUs. This has got a little bit of mainstream press coverage. And then there is some legislation that has been introduced by Senator Scott Weiner uh, regarding this uh, in San Fran. Let's see, the, his district is in San Francisco talking about these housing delays and trying to put pressure for more rapid interconnection, as you can imagine. Uh, causing uh, quite a bit of problems. So, yeah, we had a pretty lengthy story on this. It's some good coverage and uh, definitely more to come on this issue regarding interconnections. And speaking of delays, what can you tell us about Boardman Hemingway? I'm interested to hear this. The, the Oregon Supreme Court recently rejected the latest challenge to the proposed 500 kV Boardman to Hemingway transmission line that would run from Boardman, Oregon to Hemingway, Idaho. The proposed line's co-owners, Idaho Power and Pacific Corps, say the line will provide additional access to energy markets that they need to decarbonize and ensure they have enough clean capacity to meet the rising demand for electricity. It's faced opposition from early on. They've been working on this for more than a decade. Now, given the current timeline, they uh, say they, you know, with uh, as they proceed through this, they expect to start construction in the next uh, year or two and have it online by 2026. So mm -hmm. this latest challenge was from a the one of the main proponents, uh, the Stop B2H coalition, B2H, shorthand for Boardman to Hemingway. They argued that Oregon authorities overstepped uh, their authority when they approved the expansion of the new line recently uh, with a allowing for a variance to some of state uh, environmental regulations. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, though, the Oregon Supreme Court affirmed the decision by the state entities in the March 9th ruling uh, saying that Oregon law limits uh, limits the court's review of the uh, citing committee, state citing committee's approval of Idaho Power's application for the site cer uh, certificate for the uh, transmission line. Hmm. And so it was just out of their hands. And yeah. this clears a key challenge to Boardman to Hemingway as they get uh, these Idaho Power and Pacific Core get much closer to starting construction. They are through the big, the most, uh, the key parts of the permitting uh, and are really have the, you know, uh, the finish line for the planning and permitting in sight and are getting pretty close to starting construction, which I have to say, you know, I've, been tracking this uh since i came on board 
in 2017 and it it still feels weird that it's like oh wow they're actually getting close to building yeah. this line yeah it seems it like will, the, what's that it seems like the court had a pretty narrow legal question here to answer and uh, probably frustrating the challengers on this one yeah i'm sure that we will see additional challenges in the coming months but again uh barring a surprise Idaho Power and Pacific Course are you know, pretty confident that they're going to be able to start construction soon. Wow, two hundred and ninety miles not not as not insignificant. No, but, but okay. yeah, and it will give much needed access to uh, zero carbon emission generation in the mountain states and and the southwest. Yeah, you know, it's funny, it's usually environmentalists that are, fight these lines, but the big argument for transmission right now is that we need it to make the renewables transition, sort of setting up a butting of the heads on two two different issues. Um, but yeah, it's never easy to cite these things. This is one example. Indeed. Uh, I remember, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, hearing Ralph Kavanaugh from the Natural Resource Defense Council make that point that, hey, you know, we are kind of one of the key formative events in the environmental movement was coming together to oppose additional transmission lines. But we really, mm-hmm. he was saying, with it, you know, our movement really needs to rethink that now because the stakes are just very different from what they were 20, yeah. 30, 40 years ago. It's a tough argument, especially if you're trying to get, you know, more mainstream or public support for lines, you know, the fact that it's going to help renewables. But fact remains that people don't like transmission lines in their backyards or hulking, obviously, you know, towers and there's a there's risk associated with them now. So it's a it's a tough one. They've been opposing them all along and. Now you have the environmental community saying, hey, we need this gigantic infrastructure that's going to come through your forest or your community. And um, we'll see how that plays out. That's a that's a that's a tough one. Well, that's all for me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. As always, please rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you listen and pass along to a friend. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. You find me on on Twitter. I'm at the catch poll and clearing up is on Twitter at CU News Data. And that is C-U as in the letters, C-U News Data. I'm also on Twitter at Fordney Energy, where you can get my takes on energy and Supercross. And California Energy Markets is on Twitter at CEM News Data. Thanks for listening to everybody. We'll see you back here next week.